I decided to come as a drag version of the Torah, our sacred scroll. This is incredible. And I looked fantastic. I'm Rachel Ayahuasca and welcome back to It's a Practice, your new favourite podcast by The Pappy Show. We've been chatting to people from all different professions, whether they be our best friends or people that we admire and respect, to get some insight into their practice, what connects us and how we can learn from our mistakes and each other. This week I chatted to Lev Taylor and Hayley Kennedy. Lev is a student rabbi at Leobet College. He is so, so, so wise. And Hayley is an actor, a writer. She's worked loads of the Pappy Show. She's in Girls and Black Girl Magic. And she is one of the kindest people that I know. Lev and Hayley and I had such a lovely chat. They are so gentle. And I came away with loads of food for thought. So here it is. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Lev. Hi, Hayley. Hello. Hi. How are you both doing? Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. I'm great. I'm loving this weather. I'm in a really good mood because the sun is out. I feel like yeah. spring is on the way. Doesn't it make such a difference? It's coming. It's mm-hmm. coming. Yeah. June 21st. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. The lockdown is easing and soon we're going to all be able to see each other. Yeah. Oh, it's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> So we always start these podcasts with some check-in questions. And today's questions are the best fancy dress you've ever done, uh, a compliment that somebody has given you, and the last time you were by the sea. Or a fun time you were by the sea. The best fancy dress I've ever done. Do you know what? Like, I don't know. I'm like so anti-fancy dress. I don't know why, because it's like, it gets me stressed. (laughs) It gets me so stressed. But in sixth form, I done Tinkerbell for a social, sort of Halloween actually. So I dressed up as Tinkerbell. But fun fun fact, I went to a kids store. So I fit into like a kid's costume. So it wasn't like an adult's costume. Oh my it was God, like amazing. a kid's costume. Um, <laughs> They're like half the price as well. <laughs> it was like a tenner or something. And I was like, I'm all for that. Bargain, absolute bargain. So I think that's like, yeah. That was a the best fancy dress I think I've done. All the other ones, I've just been really half-hearted. Like some is, <laughs> some is, or like a like a little crown thing. Yeah. How about you, Lev? <laughs> I love fancy dress. For me, fancy dress is the most important thing ever. And the best one I did was every year in the Jewish calendar. There's a festival called Purim. Um, where everybody dresses up. And the theme of this festival is you're supposed to come as you are not. It's like an inversion ceremony. You will see, like, really strict Orthodox men doing drag. You'll see, like, if you go down Stanford Hill, you'll see people dressed up as bananas. You can go around Gateshead and see, like, a bunch of children, all as, like, babushka dolls. It's fantastic. And then, so... You know, the standard has been set, so I really had to meet it. And I decided to come as a drag version of the Torah, our sacred scroll. <laughs> so my housemate stitched for this me a mantle, a cloth that goes over the Torah. She made it herself from velvet. I mopped from the local synagogue uh, the yard that you use for pointing at the <laughs> scroll. 
and put on a crown like the Torah has and put on massive oversized uh, makeup, heels and leggings. And I looked fantastic and uh, used this costume three or four times for different parties across that Purim. Uh, and now I believe it is in the, there is a house for um, trainee rabbis in Finchley. And I believe it's there for anyone who ever wants yeah! to dress up as the Torah again. Wow. <laughs> I'm so here for this. That's amazing. That's incredible. Um, so I think my one, I've got two actually. I'm going to say them both because I think they are quite good. The first one was when I think I must have been about six months old and it was for Purim and my sister came as Dorothy and I was Toto in a little basket and my brother was the scarecrow. And I'm like, that... <laughs> I, I peaked way too early. <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no fancy dress post that that could be as brilliant until it was Great British Bake Off a few years ago. And um, it was the year that Selassie got out from the fondant fancy. And it was like a week before Halloween. So my boyfriend Kwame went as Selassie and I went as the fondant fancy that got him out. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> People wouldn't have been able to tell from just looking at us. But once explained, it made sense. <laughs> Love a good, like, explanation of, like, what are you? <laughs> Can't you tell? Can't you tell? <laughs> it's obvious. Can't you tell? <laughs> a compliment someone has given you. Um, so, I'd always remember this. Two years ago, BC, before Corona... <laughs> <laughs> We every year my friends have a we do like a dinner because life gets busy as you get older so we try to have like a Christmas sort of dinner to just come together mm. and like what's going on in your life and and this time around we done the whole thing of like passing a paper around and writing a compliment about somebody else in the in the dinner and one of my friends said that I am reliable and a so would you say a peaceful guide um and Aww. she feels safe around me and I was like oh, that's really lovely yeah and it, it, I I just yeah I've just always taken that on it was very specific it wasn't your generic you know you're great like which is great but yeah reliable and a peaceful guide and she feels safe around oh I was very happy with that <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm a peaceful guide. Yeah. Um, that's me. How about you, Liv? So, um, in my late teens and early 20s, I used to go clubbing. And you know that you end up talking to people at 2, 3 a.m. in smoking areas. And everybody knows that drunk girls in smoking areas at 2 a.m. are the modern oracles of our day and that they can see deep truth. <laughs> And when people were drunk or high, I was obviously sober, I'm a religious leader, I never drank. Um, the, um, they would always used to tell me, oh, you have such a reassuring voice. Oh, I'm so reassured by your voice. And so I feel like I've come home. I'm finally on radio being able to use my reassuring voice. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the one that, like, springs to my end... At drama school, I used to get really anxious about just not having the words to be able to, like, talk about stuff sometimes. So we were, like, 
sat talking about a play or whatever and everyone be using these really big words and like thinking really insightful things and quite a lot of it was a load of wank but you just sit there and go in yeah 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 and I told this to like a director that we were working with and I think I was just a bit insecure about not <laughs> not sounding intelligent enough and she said to me that you are the beam of no bullshit and I was like oh nice. I totally take that yeah. I totally take that all right, the last one is a time that you were by the sea. This is a good time I was by the sea. Oh, it was amazing. So in 2014, I went to Brazil. I think, yeah, the best trip of my life. It was uh, with this company. It was a like, creative company. And it was about like elevating you as an artist. So there was three people from London, three people from Saudi, wow. three people from Dubai. Three Because this company was like affiliated with the Middle East. So it was... It was I tell you, completely random. Like, do you know those things where they send you, like, opportunities in, like, emails, like, working with a previous company, like, oh, we've just got this, got this sent through. So I randomly applied, and I got it. It was a free trip. This is amazing. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so we went to Brazil, and the whole point of the trip was to sort of go and experience, like, Brazilian culture and art and help that, like, inform your work. So there was no pressure. It was literally, like... We're just going to just experience the culture and the art. So we traveled around like different parts of Brazil, went to Sao Paulo, and then we went to Rio. And it was a very tight schedule. We were there for two weeks and we went to about five places. So we were only in Rio for like a day and a half. And even in that day and a half, like we were like going to the uh, gallery in the morning and then go to this in the afternoon, this in the evening. And our hotel was right next to the Copacabana Beach, which is like one of their best beaches. And the people that we were going with, they... uh, We had like a, a, a guy who's from Brazil who was like sort of our tour guide. And he was like... Rio was dangerous, like, you can't, like, we couldn't sort of go anywhere by ourselves, like, it had to be, like, a group thing, Um, and me and a few of the um, other uh, guys that um, I went with, they were like, okay, we're going to go to the beach, like, 5am in the morning, like, we're going to sneak out and go, (laughs) because they were, like, really, like, they were really, like, militant when we were in Rio, because... To be fair, it was dangerous, but like we just wanted to go to the beach and like experience it. And um, it was a day that we were leaving Rio. So at 5 a.m., we were all like missing each other, like, okay, you out, okay? So we snuck out. <laughs> this is grown adults, by the way. Like we were like 23, 24. <laughs> Sneaking out, um, ran like, sort of down the road to the beach, and we just saw the sunrise. And it was just, oh, it was so beautiful. Like, um, and you had these beautiful mountains as well and the horizon was just gorgeous wow. and like do you know when you're just looking and I just that that moment it was like indescribable but I felt like I was so small in in comparison to creation like I was like <gasps> I'm just this little person look at like creation it was just like oh this is just incredible so yeah that was wow. like the best time I've been at and by the sea at the beach yeah that was gorgeous. It sounds like a stolen visit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, literally. That's so lovely. Magical. Mm. I'm so jealous. Yeah. It just sounds incredible. <laughs> Go to Rio, guys. It's amazing. It's, it's great. I think I will now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it's possible. <laughs> the last time that I went to the seaside was uh, Lowestoft last summer in Suffolk. I'm co-parenting with my best friends. 
And uh, it was the first time that, you know, we'd been quite heavily locked down over the pandemic and hadn't really gone out at all. Um, she's got a family home up there by the seaside. And we drove up and just had a wonderful two, three days by this seaside. And it's not like, it's not the beach of my dreams. Like, it's not Benidorm, it's not sand, it's not sun. <laughs> it is like bleak, grey, craggy, rocky, like harsh winds. And I loved it. It was like that smell of salt and the feeling of the winds. And I just felt so alive. And it was... Um, for me at that time, it was a real reminder that like there was an opening world out there and that the world could be opened again. Yeah. And I think it gave yeah. me a lot of strength oh, to get amazing. through what's been this last year. How old is your baby now? He's coming up to one, Baruch Hashem. He will be <gasps> one in 10 days' time. Oh my gosh. Oh, bless it. So real pandemic Yeah, baby. he's a pandemic baby. He's been like... Born in pandemic. Wow. At least that's been something to keep you entertained the last year. <laughs> Honestly, you know, other people have picked up projects like crochet or whatever. I've picked up parenting. I feel like it's gone all right. I'm, I'm still doing it a year later. He's still alive. So some some people sourdough starts didn't last that long. So it's I true. Um, the last time I went to the beach was so, so lovely. My sister lives in Newcastle and my brother lives in Newcastle, but she lives fairly near the sea. And it was freezing. It was August, but it was not. It was not hot, <laughs> but we all went to the sea and it was, I was like, this is going to be the only day of the year we're going to make it to the sea. I like knew that. So it was full like, right, we're going to sit in swimming costumes for the whole day. Oh my God. We're going to go in the sea and it was freezing. So, so, so cold. <laughs> uh, so there was like half of us that were like refusing to not put on anything but swimming costumes and like going to the sea. And there's the other half with like hats and scarves and like... <laughs> Yeah. So this is the bit where we'll have a little edit. There'll be a nice little sound and then we'll get on to the main question. Okay, whilst we do that, <laughs> can I just plug my thing in? Hayley, I know you as an actor and a facilitator and theatre maker and you've done loads of The Pappy Show and you've just done an R&D for our newest show, Black Girl Magic, which is so, so exciting. The photos look amazing. And Lev, I know you as a rabbi and you work for Newcastle Reform Synagogue. That's right, right? And we've got mutual friends and we met the first time. Um, you gave an incredible talk on anti-Semitism. It's a Jewish artist theatre retreat type thing. I'm getting all those worlds muddled <laughs> up in the wrong way. Um, but do you want to say, both of you, a little bit about what you do in your own words? Yeah. I'm an actor, writer and theatre maker. It's taken me a long time to actually like, like, yeah, this is what I do. This is it. Um, mm. Before I was very much of, yeah, I do things like I act, but then I also like do things because I don't know, the industry like makes you sort of pick one as like, if you're doing loads then you're not doing nothing. Um, but yeah. I think that's rubbish. <laughs> that's BS. Like, yeah, I'm an actor. I write. I'm a writer. And I'm a theatre maker. I facilitate. I like making work in the room. I like contributing ideas. So, yeah, that's 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 what I do. Mm. 
So, um, my name is Lev. I'm actually training to be a rabbi. So, it is a five-year training process. Oh. I'm coming towards the uh, end of the fourth year. It is long and very intense. Um, for the first <laughs> three years, I would spend like all morning studying Talmud, our enormous text in Aramaic with these great teachers. And they would, you know, make sure that we really understood the grammar, the language, the philosophy. Um, and then in the afternoons, we would do stuff like uh, pastoral skills and, you know, how to do funerals, how to do weddings, that kind of thing. And now that I'm in my fourth year, I'm actually starting to use those skills, but albeit in a very strange way in that we're in lockdown. <laughs> so I'm doing a lot of it over uh, Zoom. My idea, I guess, of what the job is, is that the point is to build communities that can support each other through every part of life. That a community that's going to be there for people when a child is born, when a child mm, comes of age, when people get married, when people get sick, when people die. And that I feel like that is something that is lacking in 21st century in Britain. Mm. Um, and uh, I think of it as a holy purpose. I think that's where the sacredness comes for me is in doing that thing that is countercultural that brings people closer to each other. Yeah. That's, That's so incredible. lovely, love. <clears throat> so like nice to hear that. So special. Where did it both begin for both of you? What did the beginning look like? In a way, I feel like mine still hasn't begun. Um, because mm. I'm still going through this training process. And at the same time, I feel like I've been doing it for years because <laughs> a rabbi is is not a priest. Like we have no power not really much authority and there's nothing we can do that the average Jew can't do so I think of a rabbi in relation to Judaism as just being a Jew in public or a Jew on display like trying to model what um, a relationship with Judaism looks like and so I feel like I've always been doing that I've always been trying to be Mm. Jewish and you know that's something that's been developing over a long period of time that from childhood I was always practicing it and then in my mid-twenties decided that I was going to start wearing kippah in public and gradually became a Mm. weekly synagogue goer and I've always seen the ethics and the the spiritual purpose of Judaism as being something that influences my whole life so in a way it hasn't begun in a way it's always been going on that's beautiful yeah it is I love that you know what I really see a like uh correlation between what so the Pappy show we're a little bit like a family almost feels like like one of our biggest things is about really showing up for people and it's like the social side of it feels as important to the work itself it feels like there's some sort of a link there that it feels like it's a community that's held us especially through this past year anyway mm. this is so important especially now I think people are really realizing how important it is to have connections that are not just family and friends but that are Mm. really about creating community and creating common purpose and um you know over the pandemic more than a quarter of british adults have been to a religious service that's way higher than you would have expected people are realizing how important community is and that if you don't personally invest in it it won't exist it's like we can't function without being in union or being like in community like even just basic 
being in isolation has been really, really hard, like with this lockdown and yeah. people finding new forms of connections. I remember when the, in the first lockdown, I kept on going to my uh, local park and just seeing these sort of groups of people skating together and seeing these different things I wouldn't normally see mm. on a daily basis. And it's, um, yeah, completely right. Like this uh, lockdown has amplified the need for community and, and what can happen when mm. we don't have that. Um, I think that's beautiful. And also like going for what you said and Rachel about Pappy's show of like um creating that community and having that joy and being there for one another and having creativity as a cat like I guess a means but not the end like the creativity is not the end it's it's the means to like community if that makes sense like we oh yeah 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 so like we do we do work like especially in girls we've done girls girls was amazing girls was great we created this great thing however it continues to evolve and grow because it's not about what the show is about it's about who we are who we're about and Mm. um there'll be many iterations of different shows because we're growing together as a community we're growing together as people who care about each other i think which is revolutionary yeah completely where did it all start for you Hayley? For me, um, I don't know, theatre acting, well, I started quite sort of late. Like everyone's like, oh, I started when I was five. And I was like, no, I've always been, <laughs> I've always been sort of creatively inclined. So my mum's a single mum and she had to work a lot. So she'd put me in a lot of like dance classes or music classes, mm. not so much drama, but it was always dance and music. So I had that sort of creative flair to me um, didn't really take it seriously. Mm. Always had been a hobby. And then I got to 16 and the kiln formerly known as Treskel, it's quite near my house. So again, in the summer, I'd done like a sort of musical with them because it was just something to do. And I was like, oh, mm. this is quite cool. I do like <laughs> acting, but it wasn't anything that I'd, I was like, oh my God, this is my like, sort of calling. I was still on music and dancing then. And then got to sixth form and I was doing three really, three really serious subjects. I was doing like theology, philosophy. Wow, and, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's theology. like philosophy and ethics. And then I was doing wow. music and English. So I was like, I just need something okay. really light. And my friend was like, do drama. It's a breeze. <laughs> I done it. I done it in GCSE. It's a breeze. Like you're, that's an easy, easy A level. Just do it. <laughs> easy pass. Easy pass. Um, it, and and it was that was a lie. Um, it was actually quite. <laughs> it was quite difficult. But I I really appreciated the craft. I really really appreciated it. And my teacher, who is now my mentor in life, um, oh. yeah, she was incredible and really like sort of. So I would say sown the seed and really maybe appreciate and love the art. So went to university. I want actually to become a teacher. And I went to uni and studied drama and English lit. And my drama lecturer was like, you need to pursue this. <laughs> you pursue it. And I was always in the mind of, oh my God, but I haven't been to drama school. And I, like, it was very, it's like I, I couldn't grab it. Like it wasn't very accessible to me. Yeah. It just didn't feel accessible. Yeah. But then done NYT and yeah. And then that's sort of where it sort of started there. It's been a long and interesting journey, a bit like Lev. In a way, I still feel like I haven't really started, but I've been always creative. But I don't know what starting looks like. 
oh my God, I've now put my foot in. But if I look back, I've done so much. But in my mind, it's that weird kind of like anxious, like I haven't done enough, I haven't done enough. It's really easy to always look up and not look down. Not, yeah. Like look up at what, what you want instead of looking down and being like, oh, look how far I've gone. Yeah, yeah. Even behind and in front instead of up and down. But... <laughs> Don't worry. Mm. <laughs> I get the analogy. To the side, to the, side, the left, to the right. <laughs> What have the wins been for both of you? For me, the most joyful moments are always bar and bat mitzvahs. Can happen at any age. People think of it as just being like 13-year-olds, which it often mm. is. And I love that part of it. I think it's really amazing to work with a young person at that stage in their life when they're just trying to work out who they are and build their own sense of identity and give them this structured thing that says that helps them to work out who they are, gives them like this sort of smorgasbord of identity to choose within and makes them feel proud of who they are. It's a really remarkable thing to see children, young people at their most awkward time of life, go up and do something in front of their friends and family that makes them feel really proud and that they can hold on to. That's wonderful. I've also that's Over the funny. last few years, I've set up a programme for doing this for adults who either didn't get it because they grew up secular or didn't like the way that it happened or, you know, there were women mm. who grew up in the orthodox world and so didn't get respected or trans people who did it in the wrong gender, that kind of thing. Mm. And we've now done four ceremonies. We've got two more coming up this summer and it's the most remarkable thing seeing a group of adults like wow. nine to 12 adults coming up and affirming their relationship with Judaism being able to read Torah and being able to talk in these really honest political inspiring spiritual terms about the journey that they've been on that for me is such a constant win and such a constant source of joy that anybody can feel like they belong. That's, That's really lovely. That's incredible. Wow. And so is that like a course that they go on that you've created? It is. It's called the Babel's Blessing Bat Mitzvah Programme. It's a one-year <laughs> course. It's 20 sessions and people learn how to read Hebrew and they come up with the curriculum themselves. They say, okay, why are you here? What do you want to wow. learn about? And we work out together what things they're interested in they come up with the ceremony themselves, they craft what it's going to look like themselves, and I'm more there as like a, like a tour guide through Judaism. That's so lovely. I think for me, my wins have been the process. It's so easy to be like, oh, when I've got this job or when I've got that job. But for me, it's been the process, whether that be in the rehearsal room or whether that be me facilitating like young people in their rehearsal process. Just seeing like the joy and the struggle in those processes, for me, that's like truly been wins. Oh, and also that feeling when you finished a project, <laughs> whether it be a show, that like last bow or curtain call or like when everyone runs back into the rehearsal, I mean, back into mm. the dressing room. And that joy, I was thinking about it. It's like, it's because you've actually achieved something. Like we've been through this whole process and we've got to the last night or the last thing or whatever it is. That sort of elation of, oh my God, I've actually done something. I've, 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 I've actually done something. So that, that's, that's been my wins. I can't think of a like particular one, but 
in the rehearsal room, that that process has been wins for me. That's surprisingly relatable, you know. Yeah. Um, in that so much of what my work is, is about the process. And so much of what a congregation actually sees is just glimpses. Most people will wow, only yeah. come once a year. They'll come at Yom Kippur. Um, and then like some <laughs> hardcore people will come once a week. They'll come on Shabbat on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. But everything else is in the build-up, you know, praying during the week to be better at praying <laughs> um, at the weekend and having all these relationships and, you know, cups of coffee with old people and, you know, knocking on people's <laughs> doors so that they'll show up. That's that process, of, which is so much more, it's actually a lot harder work yeah. a lot of the time um, mm. and involves getting to grips with myself and my needs and, you know, wrestling internally that's the stuff that's actually most rewarding. Yeah. And then the big ceremonies, the big festivals are more like a showcase of what's happened yeah. <laughs> within myself, within the community, within the people that I've worked with mm. up until that point. Yeah, there's something... That's so similar, actually. Very similar. Something in, like, I guess it's true, the most learning you get is in the process. But through the process, all you're looking for is a final is the final thing. It's the, it's, the, it's the ceremony. And it's so easy to end game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or to forget to trust the process oh, along the way. <laughs> I need to have that tattooed. Trust the process, Haley. Just trust. <laughs> You've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> it's not new. Yeah. What have the mistakes been, and what have you learned from them? Is there a particular mistake, or I don't know if I'm not going to answer the question. obviously looking back in hindsight is great as well because you could be like oh but that was meant to happen to get you to this point but (laughs) (laughs) but looking at the same and losses for me especially like in my early 20s was not like always holding back Mm. always sort of not trusting myself or I think about like sort of previous auditions or just meeting people (laughs) or all those sorts of things and not trusting myself to just be who I am or feeling like I have to perform or create a version that that this person wants to see of me and I'm really like sort of angry with my younger self for that like no you're fine like this person has probably a lot of issues and insecurities so you don't have to sort of or second guess what they think you need to be would have to be like the mistakes I can't think of like a particular one but sometimes I wouldn't even sort of attend an audition or write to that person because I'd be too scared of like this is really something big and I'm not there yet or I don't deserve it or just sort of censoring myself a lot yeah I really hear that on that journey to unlearning that in a way, my experience has been the reverse. I've actually needed to learn when to censor myself. <laughs> wow. And, like, what boundaries to have. When I started doing this, I thought, you know, I can just go and I can be myself with everyone. And, you know, I'm not going to be, like, one of those religious leaders who's really aloof. And over time, <laughs> I've realised that part of what people need from me is a version of me that keeps my stuff 
with me and it's there for them that's a way for people to feel safe and there's obviously there's stuff where there's areas where I can truly connect with people but I also need to be able to I've been learning to put up those boundaries and to be able to sort of switch off the bit of me that you know here's somebody suffering and feels angry about it or you know here's somebody's um, pain and wants to cry with them I actually have to be able to say okay that's your stuff and I'm here for you Mm. not for me I find that so interesting though because it's true I guess if people are are suffering and they're looking they're looking for stabilities is it is that what you're yeah um and so how far can you be vulnerable with with your stuff and is that is that useful for what they're sort of going through that's it because you know if you've ever been in a position where you need pastoral support Mm. And you're saying, oh, you know, somebody's died or somebody's sick or, you know, I'm going through this. If your pastor turns around and says, you know what, I've been through just the same thing. That's not helpful. It's really really unhelpful. Um, You know, so there has to be a way to provide that support. And actually, I don't think that it means not being vulnerable. I think it does mean being vulnerable. Mm. But I think it's about being vulnerable in the right context and giving people the right level, the right kinds of vulnerability and the right kinds of security in the places where they need it. Because somebody pointed out to me, he said his wife had just died. And he said that a rabbi had called him up normally and given him pastoral support and just listened to him. And he never mentioned it, couldn't tell, but knew that this rabbi had been through exactly the same thing. And he asked me about it. He said, has this guy's wife died? I said, yes, in the last five years. He just, if you are sincerely there for somebody, Mm. people will be able to tell if you are genuinely empathising. And you don't need Mm. to tell stories to to get that across. That's beautiful. Do you think that you had to learn that the hard way, Lev? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think when I first started at the college at the rabbinic school, I was surprised to realise that some of my friends actually wanted me to be their rabbi. And that meant that they couldn't be my friends anymore. And that was a real shift in relationship. And some of my friends really wanted to remain my friend and really didn't want me to be their rabbi. And that was also a shift in relationship. I kind of thought, I think I thought initially that I would just be able to be both at the same time. I remember sitting with a friend for dinner and he started eating and he said, oh, sorry, I haven't said a a bracha, a prayer. And I was like, you saw me last week. (laughs) And we didn't do that. I've never done that with you before. Why is it all of a sudden different? But it is for him. And that means that our relationship needs to shift. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. That must be tough. How is your practice different now than at the beginning? Can I ask what you mean by practice? Because for me, that has a specific meaning of like what spiritual practices you do. But I'm guessing that's not... Of course, yeah. Yeah, in theatre making, I guess, it's about, like, the way that you work, what you need in a room. So when we started the theatre company, it was just about training. And it was about... There wasn't many places in London where you could go to train in physical theatre. So it was a group of friends having fun and practising... practising physical theatre, I guess. And then over the years, has developed into inclusivity, joy and kindness, and bravery and boldness. This actually sounds a lot like spiritual practice. Now when you explain it, it it really sounds so similar. What you're describing to me sounds a lot like we have this concept in Judaism called Musa, 
which is this, it means like tradition or something mm. that's passed on, but it's a way of living, like an ethical way of living, where you focus on specific values and try to like implement them in your life so that other people will experience them. Things like joy, kindness, discipline, mm. love, gratitude. And uh, yeah, there's a, a lovely book that I would recommend to everyone. It's very, very accessible called um, Mm. 365 Days of Holiness that just gives you like a little intention for the day of how you can implement something from Musa in your life. Like how are you going to show joy to yourself and to others on this specific day? How are you going to show gratitude? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, So that is really similar to, (laughs) to to my practice, which is a spiritual practice. I would say one thing that's changed for me in the way that you described is I think I've become more traditional and more wanting to go back to original sources than I initially was. When I first started, I was really into all the creative stuff and I grew up in liberal Judaism, which is really like a very freewheeling, Mm. creative approach to religion that really treats things like feminism and queer liberation really seriously and anti-racist practice and brings that into every part of prayer. And that can mean, Mm. by necessity, having to get rid of some stuff from the past that just has this baggage of uh, not representing the values that we have now. Mm. There's The other approach is to, I guess, grapple with the difficult things, to recognise the sexist, the homophobic, the racist histories that exist inside all texts and all traditions, and to find a way of not coming to terms with that, but looking it in the eye and using that as a platform to improve spiritual practice. And mm. I would say, like, I'm, I'm always going to be balancing it. I'm always going to, like, be a radical at heart. But also <laughs> there's that... Cons- I understand a lot better, especially for myself, the value of that conservatism of going and looking at difficult texts and using practices that don't quite sit right with me. I think I'm more comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's what I'm trying to say. That's incredible. That's so good. That sounds like the work that society needs to do as an even greater, bigger, the UK. (laughs) (laughs) I said it, the UK. (laughs) Just to come in on that, I I really think that this is something that the UK needs to do. I think people forget Mm. that... um, or gloss over the fact that what somewhere like South Africa went through when they did their truth and reconciliation process was not just Mm. a political process. It was also a spiritual process led by priests like Desmond Tutu. They were actively trying to Mm. get people to look inside themselves as well as look at their society and dismantle the structures of racism. They were looking at trying to get people to go through um, what I think of as a religious process of feeling guilt turning that guilt into uh, transformation, turning that transformation mm. into something you're proud of and spreading that to others and to the whole of society. That is, uh, that for me is much more a spiritual process than it is political. Mm. Oh, I completely agree. <laughs> oh, gosh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. That sounds incredible. <laughs> Imagine if that actually happen because I always think about you know everything that's happening within society at the moment and everyone's like okay we need to change this we need to change that and it's like actually if we if we truly humble ourselves as individuals and really look internally and that's with everyone that's with every sort of people group every every person and you know come to terms with the sort of I guess the ideologies that you may subconsciously 
subconsciously carry or consciously and really turn away from that <laughs> or, or question it mm. or question it and that's the that's the hard work you know being um comfortable being uncomfortable like, yeah it's both though I think I really do think it's mm. both because you look at the example of Germany and how they dealt with the holocaust mm. after the fact I think they did go on a real spiritual yeah. process of thinking about what they did wrong and really publicly expressing their guilt and making their commitments to change. Yeah. But then you yeah. look at the way that Germany now treats refugees or treats Muslims yeah. and you think, OK, well, you, you've gone through that process in a very limited way, but you haven't dismantled yeah. the structures yeah. that made it possible. Yeah. And it's, hand in hand. it's a dialectic. It's, we've got to change ourselves, we've got to change our communities and we've got to really overturn... You know, in the case of the UK, all these systems of policing and inequality and violence that have created the situation that we're seeing now. And there's so much of it that people can deal with on a spiritual level yeah. by addressing the prejudices that they have. But there's so much of it that really we need large scale change if we're going to yeah. properly address it. 100%. How about you, Hayley? Mm, how have my practice changed? Before... When I was younger, it was more about acting, getting out there and, you know, doing this and doing that, do this TV show and doing this production and <laughs> all that stuff. And I don't know, maybe it's just with age comes wisdom. I had to think about actually <laughs> what's my purpose to the world? What's my gift to the world? Like, what do I want to bring as a person? And then that could sort of should come through any medium I do. And I think for me, it's accessibility has been... The word, and that word might change and grow, but sort of looking back on the last sort of eight to nine years of me sort of figuring out my way in this industry, in in everything that I do and all the work that I've sort of found myself in, it's always been about accessibility and who can't access mm. it and how can I be that sort of, not even gateway, but usher in and, and facilitate that accessibility if someone can't do something or it's finding it hard I'll try my best to help help, help. <laughs> yeah yeah that's really really lovely team we're coming to the end this has been so brilliant thank you so much both of you let's do a little checkout question if you could give yourself one piece of advice looking back what would it be I think in terms of advice now when I'm feeling angry or stressed or I know I'm going to do something that I regret, I try to think to myself, what does God require of me? And if I could go back, I would ask that question to a younger self. What does God require of you? I think it's a good, I, I don't, for anyone who believes, I think it's a good way to ground yourself in what's really important and to check mm. out ego. That's really that's, lovely. Do you know what? That was actually quite, that's actually quite similar to my one. <laughs> um, yeah, well, not even necessarily what God, God require of me is what I'm doing perpetuating goodness. Mm. Like, even in, not even like in my actions, but just in my decision making, in my, in just me being me, if I feel a certain way, like, yeah, it's just always, uh, pathway to peace right like what, what am I doing to perpetuate goodness in my everyday also I would say to my younger self it's okay <laughs> it's okay it's not <laughs> that 
deep. <laughs> it's not that deep at all. And also start a face mask business. <laughs> a face, a face mask, mask business. business you know. <laughs> Around your late I want to echo that one, Hayley. I think that's really... My my mum, I'm a very anxious person. And whenever I get worried, when I was younger, whenever I would get worried, my mum always used to say to me, you know, nothing is ever as bad as you're imagining it's going to be. And I still it. hold on to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't live at this level, this level of anxiousness. It will die off because you can't live at this level. I think mine would be really similar to that and it would be, let it go. <laughs> let it go. It's a practice. <laughs> It's a practice. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Thank you so much, team. And cut and scene. (laughs) That was so much fun. (laughs) Next week is our final episode of the series and we are finishing off in style with fashion designer Shazad Mohyuddin who runs his own brand called Math Collective. Check them out online because their stuff is amazing. And B. Holland, who is an actor, writer, in the core team for The Pappy Show. Let me just say, be prepared for some absolutely mad stories next week. Till then, like and subscribe, and you can find out more about The Pappy Show and what we are up to at www.thepappyshow.co.uk. See you next week. This has been It's a Practice, with sound by Roly Botha, music by Jim Caesar, hosted by Rachel A. Hosker, and produced by The Pappy Show. Thank you.